0: Stressed out? Need sleep? The cold weather bringing out those aches and pains or arthritis? There's never been a better time to try cannabis. Check out the greenhouse of Walled Lake and learn about the natural way to relax and escape all that 2020 stress. The greenhouse is locally owned and they love helping people who are new to cannabis. They've got a great flower selection of the best Michigan grown buds and the biggest pre-roll selection around. Don't want to smoke? No problem. There's vape carts, tinctures, concentrates, and everyone's favorite, edibles. Like gummies, chocolates, peppermint bark, breath sprays, even the original Mackinac Island fudge. So check out the Greenhouse of Wald Lake. 21 and over welcome, no med card needed. They also offer senior and veterans discounts and have a great loyalty rewards program. The Greenhouse of Wald Lake. That's GreenhouseMI.com. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you for joining me today. Now, it is Tuesday, December 22nd at this point in time. Now, you may not be listening to this on a Tuesday, and that's fine. You can listen whenever you want. Uh, that's the whole point of this on-demand thing. But, hey, I appreciate the fact that you are here at all. It is a big deal. Hopefully, your holiday season is going well. You've got good plans coming for the next few days, and you uh, can look forward to 2021. It's, it's about time. Um, December 1st was an interesting date in the state. It marked the one year anniversary of recreational marijuana in the state. Obviously, a number of communities have gone forward with this. We've seen a lot of businesses pop up in communities all across southeast Michigan. But t- Detroit is one of the places that has yet to keep pace with what some other communities are doing as they work out some aspects of their recreational marijuana plan in the city of detroit well our detroit magazine decided to devote its cover story this week and and a big section of the magazine to taking a look at what has happened in the state of michigan over the course of that one year and joining me right now to talk about it is steve freese who is the our detroit news features editor to talk about their cover story this month taking a look at one year of legal pot here in michigan steve welcome to the craig folly show it's a pleasure to have you here
1: well, thanks for having
0: me. This is great. Oh, you know, this is such an interesting industry to me in the state. Uh, you know, one year of uh, the legalization now of recreational marijuana in Michigan. Some cities have gotten this right. Others are still struggling with how to deal with it. Uh, let's just start with the overall status of the industry. It certainly seems as if the public is <laughs> is buying into this.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know if there's such a thing as right and wrong in terms of how they're doing it. Uh, obviously. There are cities like um, like Warren and and Ferndale and a couple of others that um, have jumped in quickly. Ann Arbor, for sure, have jumped in quickly with licensing of um, of dispensaries uh, that allow- are allowed for recreational cannabis in addition to med- medicinal um, ca- cannabis. But um, yeah, it's it's. It's a year since, and particularly Detroit, the biggest market of all, is still trying to come up with a structure or now implement a structure that will not allow outsiders to completely consume the industry. And the tricky part is that the way that the law was passed, which is the ballot initiative that passed in 2018, the first folks who were able to get licenses to sell uh, recreational cannabis were the folks who already had medicinal licenses. And so in a way that sort of grandfathered in or or sort of embedded the folks who were already in business. And it, 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 it had a potential to seriously limit people who wanted to get into this Industry and didn't want to sell medicinal marijuana, which has a whole other set of bureaucracy and record keeping and regulation.
0: Well, exactly. Uh, And and like I said, Detroit has been wrestling with this for a long time um, and and trying to ensure that, again, people who live in the city of Detroit are participating in the industry uh, in the numbers that uh, that the mayor and a number of city council members would like to see. This is not just uh, you know limited to this industry this is a part of just about every development agreement that the city puts together at this point in time but they have taken their time in this some would even suggest that they have been slow walking this in an attempt to to make Detroit not necessarily the the hotbed of of recreational marijuana in the region the way that it has been for for some other sort of quote-unquote sin industries and I, I use that term very loosely here uh, is there any indication that the city was purposely slow walking this so that Detroit didn't become uh, like the you know uh, ground ground zero for for recreational pot?
1: I don't believe that. That's not my impression. My impression is that they just struggled with how to create a structure that would allow for outsiders to uh, to to create a structure to not allow outsiders to take over the industry. And that's the trick here. The trick is that the the state regulation had it so that the first people who could get licensed for recreational marijuana were the folks who had medicinal licenses. And so in the city of Detroit, where there are, I believe, 46 medical marijuana dispensaries, only four of them were owned by what, is sort of loosely defined as le- legacy Detroiters. And there's a variety of different ways that they've defined who a legacy Detroiter is, but it's essentially somebody who has lived in the city for a, a, a certain number of years. It re- Depends a little bit on whether you were a, a convict, or, there are different re- minority. there are different explanations for how it works, but it's at least a decade or so that you've been living in the city and working in the city. Oh, uh, out of the last 30 years you can be allowed to see Detroiter so what happened was that the the state in the fall changed the regulation which was allowed by the um, by the state law they changed the regulation to allow the licensure of recreational marijuana um, providers without having to take that other step of being medicinal. And so what that did was, by waiting, it's a little complicated, but by waiting, by not jumping right in and licensing folks, they gave themselves an opportunity to license new cannabis sellers who are not already medical marijuana people. And that way they can provide those licenses to other folks, people who are from the city, they, they created a, a complicated structure where they are insisting that for recreational marijuana, they have a 51% or, or at least half of the recreational sellers or recreational licensees must be these legacy Detroiters, which is, is an inter- it's an interesting and a very admirable effort to make sure that this sort of gold rush, this big flush new industry that's about to develop, uh, that some of that wealth or a lot of that wealth or half of that wealth, I don't know, um, <laughs> uh, stays in the city and helps people who live in the city to develop wealth and, and businesses. The problem is that there's a of a math problem you've got they they set a number of licenses at 75 uh Mm -hmm. recreational licenses they already have 46 medicinal licenses and of those 42 are from outside of the city if they if they filled up all 75 of those licenses they'd only have 38 licenses for legacy Detroiters and 37 for people who are from outside the city but they'll never they they won't license them all at once anyway so they'll do, if, if they get five licenses for legacy people, then they'll they'll add five for the non-legacy. And it's going to be a very slow development on account of that. It's, it's a little complicated. I'm sorry. If it, well, if, no, no if, it, you know, it
0: makes sense. But I mean, you know, at the same time, I know there are a lot of people who have been operating in the city of Detroit who have been complaining about the slow pace of, of Detroit getting its ordinance together. I mean, this is, uh, you know, if you're if you're only dealing in in the medical world at this point in time, you've got competitors just on the other side of the border who are doing recreational sales, who are, you know, starting to build a loyal customer base.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's true. And there are uh, various um, recreational providers who are essentially saying that they're going to just avoid Detroit for now. Because um, they got to get in line and they got to get in line behind the 42 Medicinal marijuana dispensaries who are owned by non-legacy Detroiters before they can even get a license, and, and and being licensed is so expensive, and you have to pay all these tens of thousands of dollars in fees and and all the rest of it. So there is a there is a um, a business barrier here to um, some investment. On the other side, it is still the largest city in the state, um, and it is still. Uh, is still Detroit. So, you know, there's still a ton of money to be made in the city if you can get one of these licenses and pursue it. It's just that they created a a structure that they are are sticking with for the moment because they feel real, real strongly that the idea of allowing external business people to come into the city and suck up all of that revenue and take over this industry before local people or people who were were um, impacted by the war on drugs by having criminal convictions for pot offenses um without allowing those people to get in on this um they feel like you know that ship will sail and it will never come back into port so in a way they're right if they had if they had gone ahead and started licensing These people who already had medical licenses, then then the market would already be crowded and there wouldn't be any room for any new business people or new uh, entrepreneurs or or people of color.
0: And I should remind folks, my guest right now is Steve Freese. He, of course, is a a features uh, editor at the Uh, our Detroit uh, news and features editor there. He's uh, written a piece taking a look at the one year anniversary of recreational marijuana uh, in the state of Michigan. Now, Steve, I mean, a number of communities were very, very concerned about, how these businesses would look in their community. A a number of communities said that they're not going to zone uh, to allow these facilities, but you look at towns like Ferndale, where I am right now, there's uh, three or four that are up and operating now. Uh, The facilities, they look nice. Uh, They're drawing customers. They seem to be, again, attracting tax revenue to the community. You get a sense that some of that reluctance is starting to fade away a little bit in some of these other communities that are seeing the success of
1: some of these businesses
0: and seeing that they're actually pretty good corporate citizens,
1: yeah. I mean, they're obviously on their best behavior as of now, and they are they're aiming for a higher end audience. I mean, a lot of these products are are not cheap. Um, you know, the medical marijuana is going to be less expensive than the recreational but it's not inexpensive. So, uh, you know, you are aiming for a type of a client that doesn't want to sort of wander into the darkest part of town and and sort of worry about their car while they're browsing. Um, You know, I I do think it's kind of funny because, you know, I'm I'm relatively new to Michigan. I've been around the state for about eight or nine years now, and the whole party store industry are they're disgusting places <laughs> and it, they're it everywhere can be absolutely. So like, you know you, you have to go for you have to go into these places that you feel like you're going to take your life in your own hand and i'm not talking about in in the cities i'm talking about out here in ypsilanti or in or in ann arbor they all look horrible they all look like real dodgy places and and then there's all this talk about oh but the but the marijuana people <laughs> they're going to ruin the neighborhood <laughs>
0: It's 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 interesting, though, to me that, um, you know, I like I said, I drive by these places and I see cars lined up. They've got delivery options, you know, car car directly to your car. Uh, you don't have to go in if you don't want to. They have adapted well to uh, some of the pandemic problems. And and that seems to me that that perhaps and maybe I'm wrong about this, but perhaps the pandemic has impacted some of these uh, stores in a way that maybe they didn't anticipate, like maybe they have more customers than they anticipated, people coming out of the woodwork, so to speak.
1: The numbers do seem to show that there was a m- more robust first year, uh, statewide, obviously, we talked about Detroit for a little bit, but the other places where they are already doing rec- recreational and even mer- medicinal, um, that the sales were pretty pretty good in 2020 better, in fact, than they, than they whoever they are um had predicted or anticipated so there is a sense that the pandemic i mean they did adapt they were able to uh, they they got permission to sell through car windows and things like that that they had to it does limit because you know you you don't end up with his sort of impulse purchases you don't get people who come in looking for one strain and they walk out with like 20 bongs and and whatever else they you know whatever other things they sell in those places the oils and all the rest of it you kind of when you're when you drive up to pick up your order you've already ordered you already you know you the 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 sale is done um but you know yeah I mean there is a sense that a lot everybody's sort of stuck at home uh and uh it's very stressful the the whole the whole experience of living through a pandemic is you know, whatever it takes to to get the edge off, um, and this is a new opportunity for a lot of people to try.
0: Well, well Stephen, and, and I think one of the things that uh, people who may be re-entering this market for the first time since they were in college or something like that would be <laughs> shocked at is the variety i guess that exists out there how many different products there are um and and the level of expertise that exists within some of these stores to to educate them about what it is they're about to embark upon here you you've got uh interviews in this issue with some of the quote-unquote bud tenders out there um sort of the baristas of the pot world uh and and i love this uh they they have a level of expertise about these sorts of things to to educate people about what's going on what are the things that they're telling you? Uh, Cause I know you interviewed a number of them for this piece. What are they telling you about what's out there and what's available right now?
1: So this is actually a team effort from our Detroit. We had a, a entire um, package of of cars. course. That's the way you do things of, over there with many different parts. So Ashley, who's one of our uh, staff writers, uh, she did these interviews with quick uh, Q and A's. And, you know, she asked them sort of, how how do you get to do this kind of job? And uh, and then, um, yeah, there there were recommendations that suggested that different strains of cannabis or different types of, you know, the CBD oil, which is the extract that's not, um, it doesn't cause any kind of highs. It's just supposed to be sort of like uh, an ingredient that helps different types of things like a vitamin. Um, and, uh, and so there are people who, who, who believe that certain types of things are better for stress or, or to help you sleep, or to, I don't know, get you amorous. I, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a range of different types of things. I, I, I would certainly caution people that it's all suggestive. I don't know <laughs> that they, you know. It's it's the same as as when you go to a bar and somebody says, "Oh yeah, the the martini that'll." That'll get you laid, or the or or oh, you don't want that one. It'll just put you to sleep. I mean, it's all alcohol, or it's all uh, cannabis, and so you know there are different different types, and they do different things, and the way that they're grown can be different. Obviously, it's similar to um, how there are many different varieties of wine. Um, You know, it's not all the same grape. There are different grapes, and there are different flower of uh, of cannabis. So yeah, it is helpful and useful to. Kind of consult um, somebody who knows something about these things, and these folks are a real experience in sort of holding the hands of as you said, the people who whose last experience with Pot was you know their their boyfriends, sisters. Uncle who sold it on the corner, or supplied it somehow, and the the, the quality of the of the uh, cannabis and probably where it came from is in great great mystery. Um, but yeah, it's it's useful and it's fun to talk to these folks because you know they have this whole new industry. I do roll my eyes a bit about. These new portmanteaus, to bud tender, but I guess it works, you know. <laughs> well, Steve Freese, my guest again of our Detroit
0: magazine, uh, they've got the one-year anniversary. This basically their their whole issue is taking, well, not the whole issue, but the, a big chunk of it is looking at the one-year anniversary of legal recreational cannabis here in the state of Michigan. Now, Steve, I mean, w- one of the things that people who were really advocating for legalization, not just at a state level but on a national level, were suggesting is that look, we need to take the wraps off the research uh, that is going on, especially. When when it comes to the medical side of marijuana and with these federal regulations here, it restricts what we can and cannot research what we can learn and not learn about this. But now that we have recreational legal in Michigan, it's not just the medical research, but also just really, frankly, uh, the wraps have been taken off, the you know, uh, sort of the advancements that people can make when it comes to growing. Uh, right. You don't have to fear for somebody, you know, raiding your house if you've got a new lighting technique that might work. I mean, are we seeing innovation When it comes to the actual cultivation,
1: yeah, absolutely. You know, and and uh, (laughs) I wonder sometimes how much of these uh, innovations were things that, as you said, people were doing in their basements, and now all of a sudden they can do them out loud. But we uh, we visited a um, a grow facility in in Detroit that was a former farmer Jack's. warehouse uh now it's been converted into a into a pretty sprawling operation a grow operation where they don't they don't use soil they use water they do it hydroponically which is a common um grow technique for a lot of vegetables in areas where you can't grow year-round uh outside or in the ground um and so the the idea is in this case is to grow it within these really cool looking uh towers so like i don't know i think they're like eight or nine feet tall and they have like a hundred plants kind of stuffed along the sides of them and uh and it's all sort of very well controlled with the nutrition for the for the plants and a certain amount of water and then these very cool lighting fixtures that kind of have this sort of psychedelic look and i guess there's something to do with the distance from the plant and you know, the amount of light and all the rest of it you know it's all it's all farming but it's all high-tech farming and um and so you know there, there are pros and cons there the there are people who believe that growing hydroponically is very efficient and you end up with uh marijuana that or flour that is a, a consistent product they have many different strains but they, at least you know when you do it the certain way every time you get essentially the same amount of thc which is the med- the drug inside of of marijuana that causes the high and and the mood changes and whatever um but um but then on the other side it it's it's a bit it can be seen as a bit generic a bit um bland and 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 less. Um, that's interesting, you know. It's the same way as I said, there are certain types of soils that make certain types of grapes, uh, and 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 the way that you grow those grapes uh, impact the way that various wines are. There are people who believe that growing in soil is is important, even though it's more, uh, it's riskier, it's more labor, and um, you. Uh, energy intensive. Um, but yeah, there's, there, there are many different permutations of how you go about growing and there is plenty of research going on now as to whether a lot of the health claims in, uh, marijuana are, can, can be checked out, can, can be proven the way that other medications. Sure. Are proven well. Well,
0: Steve, I mean, I, I do want to talk about one last subject, really, on this. I mean, you know, there are always going to be naysayers about this, and and I mean, look, I mean, Reefer Madness was one of the most effective propaganda films of all time back in the '30s. It <laughs> sort of, you know, set the tone for how people thought about this. Is there any indication that some of the concerns that people had about the legalization of recreational marijuana, about how it was going to uh, add to the degradation of society? Uh, Are any of those things, are we seeing any sort of indication that this is having a negative impact?
1: Not really. Not yet. I mean, you know, there's not really any indication that I've seen or any data that I've seen to show that, for example, people are driving more impaired with this than they would have otherwise, um, or that younger people are getting into the cannabis world faster than they <laughs> ever did. Um, you know, I mean, at the moment, there there doesn't seem to, you would think that if there was, particularly, maybe not in Michigan, but there are other places in the country and the world, like Amsterdam and in Colorado, um, where there has been a, a much longer um, time to see what recreational and medicinal, but mostly recreational marijuana um, does to a society. and. So far, it seems to be pretty good for tax coffers. And I haven't really read much concern from law enforcement so far. It, well, it, obviously, obviously, everything can get out of control.
0: Well, very, very true. But it certainly seems as if the communities that are allowing this are taking steps to make sure that that is not the case. Um, as, as we mentioned, you know, obviously, these stores are trying to be very good citizens at this point in time. Um When you when you take a look at this, I mean, do we have any indication as to whether or not these potential businesses and the people looking to get into the business are undergoing any additional scrutiny than they would be if they were trying to open, say, a liquor store?
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't know what whether there is a difference in the standards for how you get a license uh, to sell alcohol versus how you get a license to sell marijuana. I know that it's very expensive, for, to get these licenses for marijuana, and I think the the screening and the um, the licensure for the marijuana licenses might be more similar to getting a uh, like a gambling license, wow. uh, where there's where there's uh, there are you know special restrictions and and mm-hmm. such. But but you also have to remember that there's also this effort to sort of provide reparations in a way to a lot of people who got caught up in the the war on drugs, people people who got very severe sentences that damaged their ability to make a livelihood and obviously lost their loss of freedom. There are a lot of folks who, particularly people of color, and people in the cities who were treated very differently by the justice system for being caught with a, a joint or some marijuana, or trying to sell it, or any number of these infractions, um, and so there is this effort afoot to try to allow them, if that's their only failure, if that you know, if they if they if that's if that's their only criminal history, to to let them in, and that wouldn't be the case, to say, for like a gambling license. Sure. Even. You know, nobody nobody had a great deal of, of, of empathy for the for the folks who might have gotten busted running a, um, a an illegal numbers running scam in in uh, in the casino business, and say, oh well, you know, they need to be able to run a casino, but pot <laughs> is different. Well, well, Steve, one last question for you. Uh, and and I mean, one of the
0: problems uh, I know that the industry is dealing with is the cash flow issue. This is pretty much a cash business because a lot of banks are very, very reluctant uh, to operate in a in a sphere that that the federal government still considers to be illegal. Uh, any indication that there is movement to to ease that problem because I mean, they're they're dealing with large amounts of cash, which is potentially dangerous in a number of ways. Um, and it seems to me that the state would probably want something that was a little bit more transparent uh, from from a revenue and and a and a records perspective. Is there any sense that this is going to change anytime soon?
1: I mean, I think it has to some extent. A number of these folks do use banks and financial services that are wholly um, owned and con- you know contained by the state. Uh, you know, banks that that aren't doing multinational or, or publicly traded um, work. Uh, you know, it is actually, this in This particular element is very similar to the early era of the casino industry. You know, I, I spent most of my uh, journalism career in Las Vegas. And the reason why the mafia ran and built Las Vegas was because they were willing to borrow from, Uh, And they were able to provide the capital to build the casinos. Um, Whereas the more legitimate casino industry couldn't get loans from, from banks because it was casinos and it was controversial or or whatever. Um, So it is similar in a way. If they don't, if they don't provide a legal um, and accountable banking method, you would, you will find a lot of questions surrounding where the financing for these businesses comes from. Um, And I, I, my impression is that there are some banks that um, don't have to worry about the, say the SEC or, or the federal government stepping in because they're, you know, they're operating in multiple States. Um, But, 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 you know, the other thing about that is this is also a problem for, the, simply the supply of the, of, of the product. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't grow it in another state and then transport it here to sell. Um, you can't grow it in another country and, and transport it into the country to sell in, in, in the U.S. It has to be grown and sold in the same state. And that actually has, in fact, particularly in, in, in Michigan right now, Limited the supply dramatically, um, and you don't, you know, that, and that's because it's still federally illegal, and so transporting this this drug across state lines is uh, is still potentially a very serious crime, and uh, certainly, transporting it in from another country is a very serious crime. So, sure. yes, there's a lot of there's a lot of these nuts and bolts of how this operates that will continue to change there was a a, a, um, a resolution i believe in the house of representatives in the last few weeks to legalize marijuana uh, nationally but yeah, well yeah but mitch mcconnell basically put the kibosh on that right off the bat so right. he won't even
0: take it up and and i don't know if he's just trying to protect the tobacco industry in kentucky or what he's trying to do there but um Something along those lines. I have a feeling is what's going on. But, but real quick, Steve, uh, because we've been going for quite a while, and I do appreciate your time today. Um, mm-hmm. Overall, uh, despite uh, you know some of the hurdles that still exist, uh, it seems that this industry is is alive and growing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's weed, <laughs> and <laughs> it'll grow like a weed. I mean, you know, I mean, look, there is a lot of money to be had here, and that's why the Fees and the um, licensure expenses are so high, and yet people are so willing to, to pay them because the payoff, the potential payoff is, is enormous. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that there are some areas of the state where it's, it's okay and somewhere where it's not. And that kind of makes it interesting, you know, that there are certain cities, like I said, Burndale, um, where you can go, or Ann Arbor where you can go and get all kinds of different things and it's really easy. Um, and then other places where they're they just not up for it. And I, I don't know, that, that's kind of a nice variety uh, for our state. All right, well, we'll have to wrap it up right there. I want to
0: thank my guest, uh, Steve Freese. Of course, he is the Our Detroit News Features editor. They've got a huge cover story this week, taking a look at the one-year anniversary, or this month, I should say, looking at the one-year anniversary of recreational marijuana being allowed here in the state of Michigan. Voters, of course, did approve that. So uh, it's here to stay, and uh, we'll be watching the industry as it does indeed grow like a weed. Steve, I appreciate that very much. Thanks for being
1: here. Thank you for having me.
0: Again, we appreciate Steve Freese for joining us on the program today, and we will be following up on this. There's a lot to look at in this industry and and how it's going to sort of change the landscape here in the state of Michigan. What lessons can we learn from other states? What things will we do better or perhaps worse than other states that are experimenting with this? Uh, and, And seriously, there's going to be a number of other states coming on board. The federal government's making some movement towards at least changing some of the status on this. We'll be following up on that as well. That's going to open up the floodgates for a lot of different things. And so... Fascinating stuff and and a really, really good look at this in this month's Our Detroit. So take a look at that. I always appreciate the work that they do over there. I also appreciate all of you for listening to the program today. A quick reminder, there is not going to be a week that was this week because, of course, this Friday is Christmas Day. We're not going to be doing a show on Christmas Day, but I am uh, going to put a year in review show up there, the year that was, sometime between Christmas and New Year's. haven't figured out which day we're going to record that yet, but we'll make it available to you, obviously. Uh, And what we're doing now is accepting your nominations for the Schmuck of the Year. I've got a thread on Facebook right now. I'll put it back up there. I'll pin it to the top of my page if I can figure out a way to do that uh, and get your nominations for Schmuck of the Year. We've got a ton of people coming in, and some people obviously have gotten multiple votes And it's not a big shock as to who they are at this point in time. I'll let you think about that for a bit, but imagine who they might be. Anyway, thank you for checking out the show today. Send me an email if you want to. If you want to send your suggestions anonymously, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com is a good way to reach me. Or send me a private message on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or something like that. And I'll get them in that way if you don't want to make it public on my Facebook thread. I totally get that. Uh, I don't want to jeopardize anybody's livelihoods here. Anyway, enjoy your holiday. Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. And uh, we will talk between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, There's going to be a lot going on and a lot to talk about. So I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Looking for the latest news and information about our great city of Detroit? Head to DeadlineDetroit.com for one-stop shopping for the most important stories of the day. Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in town, providing original reporting, videos, and podcasts that keep you in the know about everything happening in Detroit. Become a member today, and you'll automatically be entered into a drawing for prizes, including gift cards to some of Detroit's best restaurants. Go to DeadlineDetroit.com slash membership.